What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. It's me, Bill T, and we got a good podcast for you today. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have an electric car? Better yet, a classic electric Volkswagen. Well, wait no more. On today's episode, you're gonna we're gonna interview Michael Bream. He's with the EV West. They're one of the premier VW electric um, electric conversion suppliers. Uh, they also do a lot of testing, and they've been in the game probably the longest of anybody. So we have a really in-depth conversation. It seems like a long, a long podcast, but I can tell you this. It went super quick, and we discuss everything from uh, what it costs to do the conversion, what kind of performance you could expect, the range, I mean, most of your basic stuff, and then I get into conspiracy theories and uh, if Big Oil's tried to shut him down. So t- stay tuned, take a listen. Uh, but before that, I wanted to give a shout-out to uh, one of our reviewers, Jeff with Torque Works on YouTube, T-O-R-K-W-E-R-K-S. Give him a shot over there on YouTube. Check out his stuff. He's from Canada. He says, thanks for getting this going. It's great to hear all the from all the old school guys. So so before we get into the podcast, don't forget, guys, share the podcast with your friends. Click on the bottom on the link down below. Hit share with a friend, whether you're on an Apple or an Android. You can share the podcast, help us grow. We're also available on Spotify. So if you guys got friends that listen on Spotify, they can find us on Spotify as well. Um also, go on our podcast uh, page on Apple iTunes and also through uh, Google Play. I'm not 100% sure if on Google Play you can do the reviews, but make sure you go. Review us wherever you can. Give us a five-star review and share it with your friends. Nothing better than to give your friend the gift of good VW talk. So if you guys are liking us, shoot us some feedback. You guys want any specific topics or want to uh, find out some stuff or specifically ask some questions to me personally, you can email me at bill at letstalkdubs.com. That's Bill at Let's Talk Dubs.com. Also, show ideas or things like that that you guys would be interested in listening to or hearing about. But there's definitely no shortage of content coming up. We've got tons of stuff stacked on deck for you guys. So sit back, enjoy. And now we're going to listen to Michael Breen with EV West. So, all right, take a listen if you guys are digging electric cars. It's a really fascinating topic for me. I enjoyed the podcast thoroughly, uh, recording it and interviewing Michael. And hopefully, uh, we'll post some video up of me going down there doing a shop tour over there at uh, at EV West. So take a sit, sit back, take a listen, and uh, don't forget to give us some feedback on the podcast. Let me know what you think. Give us some shout-outs. Share it on Facebook. Follow us on Facebook. Also follow us on Instagram. And let's get out there and blow this thing up for the VW community. I appreciate all our fans out there now. Love you guys. Keep it up. You'll see me at Octo this weekend if you're in Southern California. Swing by. I'll have a little booth set up. Don't know if I'll be dragging my bus down there because I'm limited on time, but Come down, check me out. By the time you guys hear this, I'll be down there Saturday. Come by, support, buy a t-shirt. Let's talk dubs. What's your VW story? Later. Hey everybody, on today's podcast, we've got uh, Michael Breen with EV West. EV West is a company that it's been, they've been around since 2010, and they've been doing a lot of electric conversions to vehicles, and mostly to Volkswagens, but that's not what they're limited to. They do all different types of uh, models and monikers, but they've really put a lot of electric VWs on the map, and I've been wanting to get them on the podcast for a little bit because I've always been intrigued with their electric conversion setups and what it takes to do all that, so... I'd like to welcome today on the podcast, Michael with EV West. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure to be here. Hey, so I've been on the internet, you know, just kind of surfing around and, and, and checking out what you guys do. 
and really kind of in awe about it because it, it's it's such a unique yeah. territory in in where you guys are headed to um and what i what we talked a little bit off the podcast for a little bit you talked about early your original concept was electric vw conversions and then obviously the name changed for a broader market base but what i wanted to talk about was first how you got into doing the electric vehicle conversions and then that how that evolved into a business right right so I think originally, you know, I, I I think it's it needs to be said that we're not environmentalists. We're not just trying to electrify Volkswagens. We're actually the roots of all this came from amateur car racing. I was on a race team with three other friends, and we had been racing I think since late '07 or '08, and uh, had been doing it a couple years. And I I just decided I wanted something. Um, just a little bit more technical, a little bit more cerebral is, is a project. We were running a, an E30 race car in a series called Lemons, and it's great fun if any of your listeners have ever done Lemons. If not, it's probably the best amateur racing on the planet. Uh, but we, we, were, we were budget limited, right? They give you a $500 budget to, to build a race car, and, and we built a pretty good BMW E30 and won, actually won a couple races in it. And, and um, But we were always limited in what we could do, and I just wanted to do – I wanted to take on a project by myself that just didn't really have any limitations, and then that kind of got me thinking in a more open sense, and I think that took, it, took me to the electric car is, is a drivetrain. Yeah, I, th- I think I remember seeing that back a while back, early videos of you like in a in a, a drag racing event. Is that right? Yeah, we've we've done a, a bunch of racing events. I've been doing you know amateur racing for for years, and and uh, that was really the impetus. Our first car was the BMW E thirty six that we built for the Pikes Peak race in two thousand twelve. And, uh, I mean, what a hoot, you know, to have a, <laughs> a car with, I think on the dyno, we were doing like 850 foot pounds at the wheel. Wow. Um, and it just, it really, you know, once I, uh, summited the mountain, I was just overwhelmed with emotion. And I just, I knew at that instant, like this, this is it, you know, this was, uh, so much fun and so powerful. And I really, for the first time, just felt like we were, uh, it sounds cheesy, but like tapping into the future, you know, like all of a sudden we have this. Uh, motor that's producing more power than my whole lifetime of knowledge of engines up to that point. You know, I felt like we had a, uh, some sort of unfair advantage. And, and part of that, I mean, there's gotta be as a traditional motorsports enthusiast, which you seem like there, there's, there's always that like, ah, that would be cool, but eh, it's electric and it's not the same. And I think maybe does that change for you when you feel the torque band of an electric powered car? Yeah, there's a lot of pros and cons, like with anything in life, you know, and, and like when Formula One went to the turbos and then went back to, you know, the 12 cylinder, and, you know, uh, at the end of the day, I think racing's racing and the lowest elapsed time is the winner. And uh, all the other stuff is just kind of icing on the cake, having the nice exhaust note and all the other stuff. But at the end of the day, the guy that gets his name in the record book and walks away with the trophy is the guy with the lowest elapsed time. Right. And we're all here to race and win. So, um, you know, I, I think I have a famous quote that if I could run a race car on dog farts, sign me up. I'd run on <laughs> dog farts, you know, because yeah. it, re- I mean, it really doesn't matter. And I think that some people uh, just – 
you know, kind of fear of the unknown, don't understand the drive systems and they just kind of stay away from them or maybe not talk too positively about them without uh, really just taking a good look at, at what they are and, and what they're going to bring to motorsports. Well, and that's the, so, so that's the interesting part that, that I bring up because a lot of people obviously, and you know, because you stood now you start as a VW guy. Yeah, yeah, I would. I, I think really more of a Porsche guy, but mm-hmm. they're, they go hand in hand. Sure, you know, a, a broke Porsche guy is really a Volkswagen guy. Right, that means you're driving nine fourteens, but but twelves, you know, nine twelves. <laughs> you know, the the so the stigma to get over when any when anybody hears electric car, the first thing that they think is like, here's some tree hugging dude who all he cares about is going off the grid and doing all this stuff. But the reality is. I think if you, cause I had a, I had the opportunity to drive a friend, a friend of mine bought a Tesla and I had the opportunity to drive it and I was blown away when you just stomp the throttle and that thing just launched right. like nobody's business. And I, <laughs> and I was like, you know, cause at first you've got all these, these preconceived notions of like, I don't want to drive that. It's electric. It's not, it's, you know, it's like, it's like the Porsche water cooled, air cooled thing. Like, no, oh, they're not yeah. real Porsches or this, but then once you actually drive it, that that visceral connection to the car is still there. It's the power. It's the teleporting you from place to place in a certain amount of time. And it's like, yeah. it, it's the, it, it's the, the feeling, the torque, the push. So I think, you know, getting past that is, is maybe the toughest thing I would think from your standpoint in talking people into, or not even talking into conversions, but when they're thinking about it, cause they start off thinking like, Hey, you know, I think the concept and I'm coming at it from my perspective, right? So my concept is like, okay. Well, yeah, look, automobiles are extremely personal. And so every, that's all everybody has is their own perspective, right? And, yeah. you know, outside of a house, they're probably the most expensive thing we'll ever purchase in our lifetime. So, you know, everybody has the right to do their own thing. And I think more than anything, we respect the guys that, you know, want to keep a, a museum quality car, you know, just absolutely bone stock original. The world needs that. You know, we need examples of that. But at the same time, uh, you know, th- there's no reason to feel like you have to be limited on what you can do to your car because of the community or because of what others think of you, you mm-hmm. know, uh, at the end of the day, we all just we really just, you know, the reason I wrench on cars and have been around my whole life is it kind of connects me to my dad and we did it together and still do it together. He comes into the electric shop now and, yeah. and works on cars and stuff. But I, I think it's just, it's a fun thing to do to just pass your time, tinker and learn. And, and I think that the electric drivetrain um, I mean, there's a lot of Volkswagen guys out there that probably couldn't ever learn anything new because they actually know everything there is to know about vintage Volkswagens. Uh, there's literally guys like that that exist. And so it's fun to just go into something in an area where we get to do new, exciting projects, even working with the old stuff. You know, one of our recent projects, we took the old Type 1 transaxle and uh, did some modifications to it and, and were able to, to manufacture a really nice two-speed transmission for the electric vehicles that we do. And that's just an example of one project where you're kind of taking parts and pieces from the old, but giving it a new twist and reimagining it in the car, um, you know, improved. Yeah, and that's you know, it, yeah, it's still vintage. You know, and that's one of the things I just noticed on your website was that I was that was on my list of questions to ask you was about the two speed transmission, and we're gonna I think we'll evolve into that once we start figuring out the differences from a, a electric because there had to be some sort of a learning curve for you once you take a car that's a manual. Uh, I'm assuming manuals work best for for those unless it's got a transmission specifically geared for electric, but. I think a manual is probably right. the easiest for a conversion. So making that yeah, absolutely. that transition, what was the biggest 
difference you noticed in the transmission gearing and all that kind of stuff in regards to electric <laughs> well, I to think our, our, our biggest uh, issue really was the electric motors were killing the transmissions they have so much torque uh, that you know a lot of these older transmissions are just not built for it yeah and so when when we start getting into more performance applications we use uh, other options single speed reduction gears and things like that but we have a, a a huge customer base that just really wants that original feel, you know. Uh, yeah. Two or last year, last year we had uh, Dr. Ferdinand Porsche's great grandson come and visit us. Oh wow! Uh, from from Austria, from Germany, and he he came over and he drove uh, several cars. I think we had like three or four cars that he drove, and his favorite car was a nine twelve that we had converted, and we kept the four speed gearbox in it, and it was it just kept the car really lightweight, really original feeling. And uh, we went driving about town and came back, and he he just had a smile on his face the whole time. And uh, at the end of the day, he he just kept talking about that 912, how much fun it was to drive. And it was one of the lower powered vehicles that he'd driven all day. And yeah. it just kind of goes to show it's it's just the experience, you know. Uh, he's out there having fun. And granted, our lowest powered electric motor still has more power than the 912. So it was a much more spirited than stock 912. Sure. And, uh, you know, he was able to drive it around, shift, downshift going into turns, and just really have a lot of fun with it. To see him smile and just wholeheartedly approve of the program uh, was just, you, you know, it helps. It helps kind of, you know, galvanize, hey, what we're doing, uh, this is okay. You know, this is fun. We're doing the right thing here. So, to that question around in regards to shifting with these, with the transmission and, and, and the motor combinations that you have, are you're able to shift while driving the car? My, my perception was that you just shoved it in a gear and that was the gear that you used unless you were right. changing means <laughs> and modes. Yeah. You know, the best thing about the transmission in, in the electric cars is you get to keep everything that you like about it, you know, downshifting, coming into a turn, uh, you can rev up the clutch and dump it to burn out. You can do whatever you want. That's fun. But the things that we don't like slipping the clutch when you're say parallel parking or on an uphill at a traffic light, uh, those things go away since you can't stall the electric motor. You can leave the clutch engaged full time and actually just modulate the gas pedal like you would a golf cart or something like that. And the motor's free spinning. It can free spin forward or backwards. So a lot of that, uh, you know, the awkwardness with the clutch just really goes away. So it becomes a really fun vehicle to drive. Uh, my wife, who doesn't uh, admittedly, you know, know how to drive a manual transmission car, she can drive the EVs with manual transmission. She has no problem because the, the toughest thing is, is starting the car from a stop and slipping the transmission or slipping the clutch. Right. And all of that goes away with the electric. You just leave the clutch out, step on the gas pedal and, sink back into the seat <laughs> no that's too cool and so uh, so i've got my my list of questions here in front of me and my first question uh -huh. that i come out cool. with is with, with the with the basic ev conversion setup and i'm sure you've got a few different types but with the basic setup what is a basic motor and how does it equate regarding horsepower for your for your basic conversion oh, or that's i guess a great question yeah so on paper um, 746 watts equals one horsepower, right? And all of your electric motors are going to be rated in, in wattage or really thousands of watts, so kilowatts. Right. So our most popular kit for the Volkswagen comes with a 70 
kilowatt motor. So if you divide that by, you know, 746, you come up with something around 100 horsepower is basically where it comes in at, like 105 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And most people would think 100, that doesn't sound like a lot, but the electric horsepower is a little bit more effective. We call it kind of like the seat of your pants ratio. Right. Uh, Because on paper, they're the same, but when you drive them, you have peak torque down at, you know, a thousand RPM, which you wouldn't have with a combustion engine. So you're going to get pulled back into the seat. You're going to feel it more, you know? And so we figure, you know, that's about a 1.4, 1.5 to one ratio. So typically, uh, you know, there's exceptions to everything, but roughly if you had about a hundred horsepower, about a 70 kilowatt electric motor, mm-hmm. that would stand up against about 150 horsepower gas, 140 to 150 horsepower gas. They nope. would be about equal in speed. And that makes sense because you're not having, you're, you're not, you're getting all of the peak power and torque off right. of the throttle, off, off of inception versus like having to wind it all the way out to feel it. Right. And our and, dyno charts are pretty flat. They're more of a Mesa than a mountain. And, and you've uh, got you that know, torque combustion, all yeah, the way across. Right, get, right, right. Wow. And uh combustion model is, you know, once you get into peak torque, uh, you're right out of it and you got to shift. <laughs> so do you, so, so because of that, do you guys have to put some sort of throttle modulation on there, like a resistor at the first quarter bit of throttle to keep people from like, I mean, it's got to get, it's got to be a little tricky to get used to at first. Well, it's electric, so we can map things differently, and and we have um, we do calibrate the throttle pedals, and we can change the linearity of delivery. So maybe the first inch of pedal gives you you know ten fifteen horse, and the next inch you know gives you a bunch more. So uh, it's it's really neat, and, and for guys that are interested in technology and you know love plugging the laptop into something and playing with settings, I mean yeah. electric cars are really for you because you can go in there and there's I mean literally dozens of settings uh you can set your car to just be as slow and smooth as possible you can stomp on the gas pedal and have it actually regulate the acceleration rate uh or you can uh uncork it as we say and just let it go wild and just max out everything and pray for your transmission right Uh, (laughs) so it's it's really fun you know because we can take the same exact drive system and the same components and put them in uh, two similar cars for two very different customers and have two very different driving profiles out of those vehicles. So it gives us a lot of flexibility from that standpoint. Now, if a person, let's say, let's say they had a family car and a guy said, hey, I want a separate setting for my kid. Could, yeah, could, could, the, the daughter co- switch. Yeah, could, could, it, could, it, could it have a switch on there where it's yeah. like they can't, it, it's programmed differently. Is that a pretty easy thing to do? Yeah, yeah. In fact, we've done it for customers and we kind of dubbed it the daughter switch. I think the first uh, gentleman was saying that he wanted, you know, his his daughter to be able to drive the car, but uh, didn't want her to go crazy. And, you know, we can do separate power settings. Um, And now we're really starting to get we're working on some projects with some really advanced electronics to just really complete the package and, you know, everything from instrumentation and just being able to regulate the power uh, better. You know, it's, it's important to note we're like in the first inning of the ball game here, you know? Oh no, absolutely. Uh, I mean, te- you know, we're, we're literally on, I, I guess technically we're kind of on like the second version of the Tesla car after they did the roadster and now they're kind of into the S and X. Um, but we still have a couple, you know, major 
generational changes to come. And, and that's what's exciting from this standpoint is, is we know there's a lot of new technology coming our way and the batteries improving and stuff like that. So as great as it is now, uh, all signs are pointing to it's, it's probably only going to get much better. And so let me ask this question. In the eight years that you've been in business, how much change have you seen in technology from where you're at? Well, you know, there's there's the change of, you know, eight years ago, we'd go to a Volkswagen show and people would sneer at us. And now they like to talk to us. So that's that's the most heartwarming change. Yeah. But, you know, on paper, you could start looking at things like energy density. I think our best battery back then was around 80 watt hours per kilogram. And now we're about 215 per kilogram. So that's about a almost a threefold increase in battery density that we've realized over the last uh, eight or nine years here. Um, and, and really, you know, we've been in business that long, but we were playing, we started playing under the Volts car name, doing the Volkswagen stuff back in 09. Um, and, and those were the first batteries we started playing with. So it's, in about a 10 year span, we've seen it roughly triple the energy density. And, and if we could triple it again in the next 10 years, then that would be 600 watt hours per kilogram. And, and now, um, I mean, you know, good night, electric cars are it. You know, now you're going to have cars with, uh, you know, what do you do with a car that has a thousand miles of range? You know, if you're only driving 12,000 miles a year on average, like an average American, now you only need to charge it once a month. Yeah, that's pretty, I mean, that's, that's pretty intense to think of, of that distance that you can get in the range because the funny part is a lot of people perceive, okay, so what is the range on a, on a basic conversion that you guys have? So average range for a Volkswagen, most most Beetles go out of here with about 125 miles range on and, average. And the, the concept yeah. from the from the individuals that they drive more than that in a day. Right. And the reality well, is most people are going to drive 50 miles a day max, 60. I mean, Southern California, where you've got to commute you know, 20 miles takes you two hours or, or whatever the case is, but yeah. And you know, look, I'm in the business and so I you'd think I'd be biased, but I, I actually kind of lean the other way. I, I like cars with a lot of range. Um, you know, my, uh, first Volkswagen that I was daily driving that I converted myself, uh, you know, it was a 58 ragtop mm-hmm. and it had about 80 miles of range. And, you know, more than once I came pulling into the driveway with just a mile or two on it. And I, you know, it's, uh, Range is great. We all want it. But right now, because of the cost and the expense and the, the whole kind of category is so new, um, there's a trade-off. You, you don't just get as much range as you can because it's going to get real expensive and it's going to get real heavy. But as we go forward, you know, in the coming years, we're going to, you know, start to have this capability where we're going to have, you know, 400, 500 mile range electric conversions. And uh, and that's going to be great because it's you're really going to have people that can daily drive their vintage cars right no, i mean that's and, the, that, and that gets them out in the public it lets people see them and kind of get reminded about them and it's, it's a real nostalgic neat thing and we all do it as volkswagen fans right we're driving around sure we see a beetle coming the other way or something it makes you feel good and if we can just get a couple more people to daily drive their cars because they're not so scared of the reliability or they don't have enough power to get on the freeway anymore or whatever whatever reason it might be if we can overcome that with electric 
uh, and keep the car in original condition. You know, it should be stated all of our conversions are reversible, so we're not doing any kind of permanent change to the car. It's all bolt-on stuff, you know, transmissions that bolt in and then electric motors that bolt on to that transmission, a battery pack that actually bolts into the bolt holes for the, the gas tank up front. You know, so we're not altering the cars. We're just kind of changing the drive systems, uh, if you will, temporarily. <laughs> so the so that brings up a good uh, a good topic, the battery pack. So the battery pack, is, it, is there two battery packs, one behind the rear seat and then one where the gas tank goes, or is there one? Yeah, ideally, you'd want uh, all electric cars to have one pack. It's mm-hmm. safer, it's better, it's a, it's, a, it's a more efficient design. The issue is the vintage cars you know, weren't designed with battery packs in mind. And sure. So uh, the light weight of the Beetle, and as most people will tell you, if you come in hot to a corner and you're in a low tank of gas, it's going to push. You're going to get some understeer because there's just not enough weight on the front end. So what the batteries allow us to do is kind of split the weight up and put it where we need it and actually get a better weight bias in the vehicle. So we add about 110 pounds to the front axle uh, through battery weight, Mm -hmm. and uh, it actually plants the vehicle a little bit better. The Beetle uh, rides a little bit better with a good shock up front. It just feels much better. It's not as uh, bouncy and as lightweight. Uh, it's just more well planted in turns. So, uh, in most cases, uh, there's probably an exception out there, one or two. But in, in most of the conversions that we've done, the vehicle on the back side of it, when it's done, handles much better than the original. It accelerates better. It handles corners better. It will stop better with the as- assistance of regenerative braking. And so, by all measurements, we've improved the vehicle. Now, that's another point I want to talk. So. Can you explain what regenerative braking is? Sure. Yeah, the the world's most misunderstood uh, electric vehicle phrase, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, in essence, we use AC induction motors. It's a brushless motor, and it creates its magnetism through using an alternating current on ferrous materials. Because of this, uh, the the motor can also be a generator very easily. And when you have a generator, uh, when you put an electric load on that, it will actually turn into a physical load. So if we've all run a generator in the desert or whatever, as soon as you turn on an appliance, you feel the motor yeah, load it, down. Like kind of right, right. And so that re- we use that resistance because we have a motor coupled through the transaxle to the wheels. Uh, using the electronic drive controller, we can very easily turn that motor into a generator and then put a big load on it, you know, um, a load of friction, basically. Mm-hmm. And that will be used to slow down the vehicle. But instead of converting it into heat, it's actually converting it into uh, energy. And so we're putting that electricity back into the battery pack. Um, so it's kind of, you know, it's good on more than one front. Um, for one, you save your brake pads, which is nice. Uh, but brake pads create heat, and heat actually breaks down wheel bearing grease. So it, it, it will actually save your wheel bearings a little bit, uh, uh-huh. tire rubber, just about everything in your car. And it just makes the driving experience a little bit more enjoyable. You hear people with electric vehicles talking about one one pedal driving where you're not constantly taking your foot between the gas and the brake. When you go to slow down, you just kind of lift off the gas. And you can adjust your regen to your desired amount, right? So if you want it to brake real heavily, you can adjust that electronically. Or if you uh, say, you know, regen is <laughs> is some new black magic from EVs and you don't want it, you can just uh, turn it off. 
Um, and that's that's the beauty of this stuff, you know. So it could could that be modulated with a dial, like if you want yeah. less or more drag? Yeah. So in essence, when you let off the gas, there's the drag of the engine, or the, the drag Correct. of the motor that's going to slow the car down. Sure, in theory, you could hook up a second gas pedal and have it just regulate the the regen. <laughs> what we do, what we typically do, most most vehicles will actually go into the hydraulic line for the brake circuit itself. Mm-hmm. And the best way to tell what the driver is doing is actually not monitor the brake pedal position, but actually monitor the amount of hydraulic pressure in that line. And we can take that through the use of a sensor, transduce it into an electrical signal and read that with the motor controller and then vary the regen based on how hard the driver's pushing into the pedal. And so that's the most common form of regen that we have. A lot of um, major manufacturers, you know, Tesla doesn't use transducers. Um, some companies do, some companies don't. It's just kind of a feel thing, you know, and, and yeah. uh, I think as, as your readers, the audience out there, you know, they get more experience. I mean, most most people, of course, haven't even been in an electric car, let alone a Leaf or a Tesla or anything like that. But yeah. uh, And then you take that group of people and even a, a tinier percentage have ever been in a, a vintage electric car, right? So we're talking about an experience that not a lot of people can relate to, but uh, – you know, as we move forward, more and more people are going to have these vehicles, more and more people are going to have retrofitted electric vehicles, whether, I mean, it might even be at work, it might be construction equipment. You know, we have uh, guys doing everything from bobcat tractors to uh, cement pumpers. I mean, you name it, uh, It's if it, if it spins a shaft, it's probably in somebody's workshop getting converted at this point. Yeah. And so, so that answers a lot about regenerative braking. So regenerative braking, when you let off the throttle, it actually turns into a charge and starts charging the batteries to some degree. What, right. what percentage would you say, if you turn the regenerative braking off or had it on to maximize your recharge to some degree, I mean, what kind of, what kind of, what kind of mileage do you get out of that? What kind of range do you get with the regenerative braking? If it's if it's set up optimally, yeah, no, that's, a, that's a that's a great question, and it really does vary on driving style. So I'll try and answer with the most average answer. But uh, typically, the difference between no regen and regen for an average driver is about ten percent, right? Um, you, you know, yeah, 12, creating energy miles. and sure. right, yeah, yeah, creating energy then capturing it back. You always have losses along the way, so you'll never recapture those um you know it would be great if we could get it all back and you know uh sorry to be a naysayer but there's no perpetual motion machines there's no no way to run an alternator or regen all that energy down the hill and put it back and then go up the same hill again um but you you know the the nice thing is again i think for me you know being a car guy i love the electromechanical aspects of it i love the fact that um like if you think about the concept of a brake you know you got this spinning rotor and you're like hey let's just smash two things into it and see if we can create as much heat and friction as we can to slow this beast down you know and then you have this ev solution that's this electromagnetic rotor that's you know has a precision rpm the controller knows exactly where it is and uses electronics and transistors to you know smoothly and slowly bring the car to a stop (laughs) the technology gap is pretty big you know we were out one time in my uh the shop has a 63 panel bus and we're driving it and the 63 has a single circuit 
uh, master cylinder on it. We were going to replace it anyways because we do. We just picked up the bus. We'd only had it in the company possession for maybe a month or two, converted it, and we're out driving. We actually lost a brake line, and so the brake pedal went all the way to the floor because oh, wow. uh, it's a single circuit. Yeah, anybody with a bus can uh, like, I'm sure everybody, share, share our fright. Yeah, yeah everybody's and, had that experience. Uh, we, we were able to just turn a, a switch that we had installed in the car to give us a low, high region. We were just able to turn the region on high and actually drive the bus safely, super safely, all the way back to the shop and uh, replace the master cylinder. So there's kind of an added, you know, there's another layer of safety in there um, inherently with the with the EV systems. The reliability and the, the ability to stop them without actual brake pads is, is a pretty nice feature in a Volkswagen. Yeah, that's for sure. and what's, what's interesting to me is I've always noticed that when manufacturers, like when they came out with the EV1, right, there's all these conspiracies and all stuff, and we're going to get in some of those conspiracies because if there's anybody that's going to know, it would be you would be the guy that would know, right? And I looked right. at and I remember looking at like EV one, right? When they came out with EV one, right? And it seemed so foolish to me that every single thing on it was electric, right? The ga the, the the gauges were electric. I mean, everything was electric, and I thought that seems yeah. so ridiculous. It's like you're trying to make an electric vehicle. You'd want to conserve the electricity as much as possible, make everything yeah, as right. analog as you could. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like like a right. Volkswagen, like which makes. Yeah. The VW, the perfect platform, the VW or the air, especially like I think the air cooled uh, cars make such a natural conversion because they're they're designed for maximum efficiency and and just to be bare bones and transportation. But, you know, the, the electric conversion, because you don't need to run so many different accessories, it's really super efficient. Right. Right, right. And they make a good platform because they're just so well loved. You know, it's it's really tough to find another vintage platform that is, is universally well loved and liked as the Volkswagen platform is, you know. Uh, and, you know, the, the having that pool of vehicles out there, um, you know, just kind of waiting to be converted, it, it, it's it, it, we couldn't be associated with a better community. Really. No, it, it, and um, what's interesting and what you've already experienced from talking to you for a few minutes is that you've experienced kind of the the back. I was explaining this to someone the other day who was a. I had a CEO for one of the for one of the aftermarket companies on the podcast, and I and he came uh-huh. in and I and I talked to him and I said, you know, the VW community is really they're really a specific group, and there's and they want to see if you're for real. And they're going to test you and see if you're, <laughs> you, and you know what I mean yeah. because of probably what you've been through. Because you thought like, hey guys, I love Volkswagens, I love Porsches. Look, I did this cool electric thing, and everyone's like, huh, get away from us. And then you have to like warm up, like guys, take a look, take a look. And I think it, it's one of those. Well, th- I have faith in the Volkswagen community because I, I've never everybody in the Volkswagen community seems to be pretty genuine and nice. And and look at 10, 15 years ago. Uh, they were kind of turning their nose to Subaru conversions, and now oh, yeah. that seems to be pretty well on its way, you know. And 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 that's good, you know. God bless the Volkswagen community for not just embracing stuff on day one. You know? Well, no, and it's <laughs> let, and it, it's, let them be skeptical, it, right? It is, let and it's say, and it's, let this technology prove itself, and then we'll accept it, and, and we're okay with that. That's fantastic. That's no, what makes them great to begin with. And, and it's and it's broad based, and so as a ch- the challenge it, it it makes for you is that. Okay, how do I get people to get what I get? Because you did what you did from a motorsports angle, and then seeing this electric thing, we're like, wow, man! If you're a power junkie, like getting all the power right now off the throttle is great. And then if it can be super reliable, I mean, like literally turnkey for 
I don't know what the longevity. What's the what's the estimated longevity of an electric conversion? Well, um, longer than we had anticipated would be the most correct answer. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, now that we're kind of getting into this, we're finding several batteries uh, are lasting much, much longer than the manufacturers had anticipated, namely the Tesla battery manufactured mm-hmm. by Panasonic. There's some anomalies. Some of the early Nissan Leaf batteries didn't last as long as people had anticipated and kind of gave up a short life. But I think if you looked at the market a- as a whole, uh-huh. uh, the majority of the battery chemistries are delivering uh, better than what they had anticipated, better than what they had promised. You know, um, I think our first uh, actual conversion that we did for a, a customer uh, in in late 2010, early 11, their car has about 80 or 90 thousand miles on it now. Uh, my highest mile car, electric, I've got about 45 thousand miles on my uh, 65 double cab uh, Type Two. So uh, and. No problems. I mean, other than two transmissions. <laughs> sure. I mean, no yeah. When you, like anybody, once you taste the power, it's hard to it's hard to just sip. You know what I mean? Because it, it's fun, especially in a VW, to just kind of throttle past somebody and have them kind right. of double take. So, right. so what you're saying is the motors are not your concern. It's the battery cycle, recycle, like charge, recharge capabilities. Is that really the weak? I mean. I, that's the yeah, part I mean, that eventually uh, would wear uh, out. You're saying the motors. If you, if you look at the induction motor, you know, and if we just back up, just give like a really quick primer. You know, the way sure. to think about uh, EV system is kind of like a stereo system. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think the power is actually derived in the motor, and it's it's not. The motor is just an electromagnet, kind of like a speaker. It follows the power given to it. So the power is derived in the motor controller, which is essentially your stereo amplifier. It's the, the you know it's the thing. It's the goods, right? Right. And so. Um, so that's putting all the energy into the motor and the electric motor is just kind of following it. So it's really regulated. All the power is really coming from the motor controller itself. And the motor just kind of follows that input. You know, the motor really only has two uh, serviceable items and they're, they're both bearings, one at either end. Um, it's a, you know, $17, skf off the shelf bearing and it's rated its service life is fifty thousand hours if you drove at 20 miles an hour on average that would be one million miles of service that's all those bearings <laughs> and again it's a 17 dollars bearing and and uh you can you can do you know uh somebody who's never done it before could probably do it on their bench in about a half hour uh wow. we, we can do it in about five minutes you know um and, and and that's it. I mean, I'm not sugarcoating it. This isn't some sales speech or anything. It's it's exactly what it is. You pull the motor out, you put it on the bench, and you look at it. And the general, the, the most common reaction is like, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think people are expecting more, and it's it's really not much more than a you know can uh, rotating inside of another can. You know, so, using magnets. So really, the power, all the power, all the performance, all the stuff is based on the battery packs and. From what you're telling me, I'm putting together that over the next few years, that all could change. Like a person who's got an EV conversion now could get batteries that have better rechargeability, more power output, that type of stuff in the next few years, and just continually increase the performance of their vehicle if they're changing out their their battery systems. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and, and think about the cruel joke that's been played on us. One of the lightest forms of energy that we know is the electron, you know, so light we can barely measure its weight, right? Yeah. And since the beginning of time, since the day you and I were born to now, the best vessel we had to carry this super light energy source was literally made out of one of the heaviest things known to man, 
lead. Yeah. <laughs> and so we're using these lead batteries to store electrons, virtually weightless particles of energy, right? And so you know where the theoretical limit is. It's it's you know unbelievably low weight. And so we're looking at nanotube technology, graphene, all these other things to figure out, you know, basically a lattice work or a matrix to store these electrons because that's the purpose that the battery serves as basically just a, sure. a, a electron storage matrix so then you start thinking okay the the tesla roadster that's coming out uh next year or the end of the, the following year uh they're rating it at a 200 kilowatt hour battery pack now keep in mind this is a two you know small little two seat or a two plus two sports car so it's probably going to be pretty lightweight and it's definitely small um, so, you know, they made some strides in energy density and you start getting around to that 200 kilowatt hour mark and you, you start to get into that thousand miles of range. And when you do that, you, you know, you start, uh, wow. the quick charging and the charging network and the infrastructure, all that just kind of peels away. It becomes less important because where are you going to go today that's going to be more than a thousand miles away where your end destination isn't going to have electricity where you can charge while you sleep you know well yeah uh, you... happy you know happy is the ev owner uh, all of us that wake up every morning walk out to our car turn the key on and we have a full tank you know of gas so to speak you know a fully charged battery and and uh it's so nice to have that feeling every morning you have you you can go to the max distance to your car and that's just going to keep increasing right well and and that it, in the same respect is no different than between here where I live in Vegas and Southern California where you live, there used to be gas stations every 75 miles. Right. There was gas yeah, stations. And yeah. now, right now, from here to Salt Lake, there's a charging station, I think, in Beaver, Utah, like a quick charge station in Beaver, Utah, yeah. and stuff like that. And and so as the technology increases, some of the, those may be the old, oh, look at the old charging station over here that they used to have over here in Baker between you know Southern California and Vegas, yeah. and now no longer possibly needed. Um, yeah, no, that's a great point, Bill, because, you know, I'm out here in San Diego, you're in Vegas, we both do that same trip, and uh, there actually used to be quite a few of those, you know, single gas station yeah. kind of off-ramps every 30 miles, and most of those have gone away, and, and save for just the bigger ones, you know, Barstow and Baker and a few of the others, uh, and, and I'm sure there's a correlation there with the range of new cars, you know, a typical new gas cars, four to 500 miles per tank now because of the increased uh, fuel economy. Yeah, no, and so you'll, you'll probably see the same thing happening with the, with the battery technology starting to come about. Now, in regards to, so, so the electric thing has really exploded in the past few years because of what Tesla's done. Now, I'm a complete, when it comes to electronic vehicles, all stuff, I'm totally a novice and it, it seems like all of a sudden out of nowhere, here comes Tesla. How much of, in my understanding, my layman's understanding of like Tesla's where they're at and they're able to, to deliver what they've delivered so quickly was due to some government subsidies or things to that extent. Is there truth to that or is it just their technology so great or Elon Musk is so rich or, you know, how has that been able to be so successful so quickly? Well, you in know, your they opinion. Took a four, they, well, there's, I guess... You know, there's opinion facts, right? They mm -hmm. they took a four hundred and forty six uh, million dollar loan from the government and repaid it with interest. So uh, I don't really consider that a subsidy or government mm -hmm. help. We have a seventy five hundred dollar federal. Uh, it's not even really a subsidy. It's tax credit. You know. So yeah, if you uh, don't you make know, money, they're, they're it means these nothing. A, a, right. Yeah. And they're giving these guys a credit for their electric cars in the same way that they give some other guy credit for having horses. 
literally. Sure, sure. Uh, right. I mean, you know, when, when people dig into this, it, it, the level of absurdity gets ratcheted up pretty quick, and you realize that the government really hasn't done uh, too much <laughs> to push this stuff, right? It's really technology winning over against a bunch of forces that they're having yeah. to capitalize against it. It's not a conspiracy. It's not, you know, some battle or anything like that. I mean, uh, people wake up and they have a choice. They can go out and they can buy this car and they can buy that car. And slowly over time, we're seeing those choices change. Um, and and it's not um, through a marketing campaign. Tesla doesn't spend any money on marketing. Um, I mean, this is a once-in-a-lifetime uh, absolute phenomenon that we'll never see again for as long as we live. I mean, when they came out with the Model 3, uh, over a half million people signed up for a reservation for that car. Wow. That's absurd. I mean, like on a level of 10 times more than has ever, ever been seen ever in the history of cars, and we'll probably never see anything like it again, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so it takes something truly unique and special to do that. Even if you're not into electric cars, you have to acknowledge that uh, there's something out there so powerful, an attraction so powerful that uh, numbers that have never seen before, you know, went and just threw money at a company that people said were going out of business yeah. <laughs> and gave these guys their money. So th these aren't just sign-up orders. They were like hard-paid deposit orders, you know? Yeah. And, um, and and you, you can't discount that stuff with a news story. You can't discount it with a, a Twitter clip of a car catching on fire that could have been from the 12-volt battery or could have been from something, that, you know, you, you can't discount that kind of enthusiasm. And I think that's the, the neatest thing about this community is we're continually around our customer base, which happens to just be, you know, progressive, smart, successful, you know, uh, people that love trying engineering and new things, you know, and, and that's kind of what, what all these customers and electric conversion shops have in common, yeah. you know, and it's, it's a really neat thing to, to, to play around with, you know, nobody's uh, too bored. Right? We're all, we're definitely all having a lot of fun. You talk to any of the conversion shops out there, and they're all pretty much, uh, uh, you know, bustling with business, and they're all just really having a good time, having a lot of fun, you know. And so, my that leads me to my next question: customer base. So, you started kind of grassroots in your backyard, kind of figuring this out on your own. Now, I've been on the website, looked at some of the kits, and looks it looks to me like the kits when I'm on here. You know, conversion kits are uh, around EV conversion kits. They're looking at they're around seventy five hundred bucks, eight grand, something like that. Yeah, without a battery. Yeah, seventy five hundred will get you a good drive system for okay. sure, and all the conversion parts to hook up the drive system. We kind of did that. Uh, some of those kits without batteries were put up a couple years ago when when we we had some people really wanting to do the cheaper batteries and just really trying to get an entry level conversion. Sure. Um, the neat, neat thing is is the cost of the components is slowly coming down, which is nice, and the capability is going up, which is also nice. So typically today, uh, I tell people if they come in with a Volkswagen, if you want a, you know a nice conversion, a, a small Tesla battery pack, a really nice motor, maybe an electric heater, and a few other options you're going to spend about 18 to $20,000 in parts, you know, and that's, that's a, a pretty good bolt, you know, a uh, hundred, 140 mile range, pretty good horsepower. You know, that's a, that's a well apportioned kit for that price. So 18 to 20 in parts. Yeah. And that, 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 yeah. that does include the labor to install everything. It does include the labor. Uh, typically guys will take, you know, 
two, three months uh, part-time doing some weekend work and evening work to get it installed. We have a full staff uh, here of engineers to help with technical support. So if anybody have, has any hangups along the way or needs some help or a schematic email to them or something like that, uh, it's nice because we're not just a web shop. We actually have the installation shop. So sure. it, it serves it serves as a training facility for our own engineers because even though they're uh, you know classically trained engineers, they still you know, don't know the latest firmware from this company or the latest motor controller from that company. And and it's a very, you know, this is a moving target. I mean, just this last year, we got a whole new class of motors uh, kind of introduced to our product line. And, and um, we're constantly seeing new companies come into play and new products from the existing companies. So it's, it's, God, it's exciting. And, and if you guys are doing a car, let's say they bring it into your shop to get a car converted. What's the, what's the timeline on that? So since we're kind of an engineering facility, we, we aren't typically just trying to get cars out the door. We're usually doing um, uh, future pro- you know, basically we're using the cars as platforms to develop and test our future products, right? right. Uh, we touched on the instrumentation a little earlier in the digital uh digital dashes and display pads, you know, so that's our latest project where we're trying to digitize a lot of the information because now you have a lot of this information on a modern CAN bus in an old car and you still want the aesthetics of that instrumentation to match the car just because it's, you know, you're getting it from newer technical sources doesn't mean that it should be displayed any differently. And uh, God forbid, you know, one of those hideous red, you know, LCD displays or whatever from the eighties. So we're working with a lot of things. We're redriving, you know, actual analog gauges and doing digital gauges to actually mimic and represent analog gauges and and stuff like that for the instrumentation. And, and there's just, um, so that, so the cars that are here, you know, we're using them for all these little projects and it's, you know, typically we keep them probably for six months, uh, to do three months worth of work. So you're not, so, so the cars aren't coming in just to, just to turn out kit cars and send them down the road and all that kind of stuff. You guys are more working on development constantly and refining your kits and your, your primary business is providing and delivering kits to people to, to, for most yeah, DIY absolutely. type stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It's an engineering firm and really uh, B2B, you know, we work directly with a lot of Volkswagen shops and more and more are calling us each day because uh, they've got lifelong customers that are interested sure. in this now. And and um, and we've got some that, you know, started, got on this wagon early and now they're they're booked. And a lot of these shops early on get to a point where they take a booking before they finish that next car yeah. and then a booking before they finish the next one. And essentially, now they're just permanently booked you know uh our own installation bays right now have about a four to five year wait list just to get in you know with customer projects wow so, um, and, and yeah, so the, the demand is there there's no question about it. the demands there it's a niche market it's not this huge you know overwhelming thing but um definitely our shop and other conversion shops that are out there and the owners that i speak with are definitely feeling a, a huge surge in, in demand recently and, and with one of those shops like an experienced shop that does your kits they do they do the kit do you have i mean like what what does it take time wise to do a kit typically if it's a plug and play guy brings a car it's cherry car pull out the 1200 drop in the ev yeah the number i quote for a first timer and figure uh, a repeat would almost cut the time in half right uh which is a, a pretty astounding factor but you spend a lot of time that first conversion actually reading you know reading right. installation manuals which is fantastic uh but I, I tell people 400 hours in their first kit's a pretty good number so 400 hours on the first kit but if a shop's running pretty good 200 hours they can convert a car 
Yeah, yeah, and, and at its core, it's pretty simple. You know, we have an adapter that bolts right up to the transaxle, and you know, we we pre-completed some of the components on our uh, bench one time. This is about three, oh, maybe five years ago. We did a Discovery Channel special. We actually converted a Beetle uh, in about three days. Um, we had four technicians on the car, and we did a lot of work. Yeah. ahead of time on the bench um but you know we did the car start to finish in, in a couple of days that's not common we don't quote that um but under certain circumstances you you really can convert these rather quick uh we are working on a, a full drop-in i mean literally a bolt bolt-in plug-and-play system for the porsche 911 platform that's based on the tesla motor and uh we think this kit will will truly have like a two-day installation time when we ship it most shops will be able to start this kit on a monday and wow. hopefully by tuesday afternoon we'll be doing some burnouts so now the now the tesla motor you're talking about is that that's do you sell the same motor on your site the same motor or is it a specific for tesla motor type thing yeah there's there's actually uh just in the model s alone there's about four different variants of the motor um so we have different ones they actually make a baby motor called the, the small motor 250 kilowatt we use a lot of those in the the volkswagen product because it fits uh so nicely in there right uh, we use the bigger motor in the the porsche product 911 some of the other cars i mean we did uh, a large tesla motor in manx a little while ago that was <laughs> real yeah, to, be, to drive squirrely um uh, yeah we had a great year with it we actually took that thing up to uh, the quail this year and it got uh, recognition at uh, one of the more prestigious car shows in the united states and, yeah. and so that's neat too it's another just one of those little small you know put it on the pile of small indicators that the winds are, are ch changing you know uh, the quail you know they did a, uh, a nod to the electric car revolution this year year by letting only converted only like as they said only built not bought electric vehicles were allowed on their lawn so they wouldn't let you bring in a tesla or anything nice. but you could bring in a manx for the tesla motor <laughs> so it's uh yeah what a great time man so my question is what are some of the drawbacks or things you have to be concerned with in regards to like an electric conversion is driving in wet weather an issue or, or no, all... water, water. I mean, water around electronics can cause weird stuff, but mm -hmm. a lot of the electric drive components are fairly well hardened. Most of them are IP 67 or even 69 rated. Um, you know, they've, you know, dust and, and, uh, moisture intrusion prevention, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but you know, for the most part, I think the, the actual, you know, enemy that we fight all the time is heat, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you don't want your motor too hot. You don't want your inverter too hot. You don't want your batteries too hot. Um, and, and that's probably the biggest technical challenge. When you look at uh, EVs and, and motorsports, that's what they're always fighting. You know, they they do these lap challenges and they try to get, go as fast as they can before the thing starts going, uh, cutting power because of thermal conditions. Um, and you know, with the Volkswagen product being smaller, being lightweight, not as performance, it's, it's really kind of a moot point. So there, I would say there's really not a, a, a tall technical challenge. There's really not a large drawback uh, with the, the conversions. I think really uh, most people would just find the price the only drawback. You know, you have something that you can bolt into your car, drive. If you don't like it, you can bolt the gas engine back in it through the whole process your vehicle's never lost value it's kept you know it's retained its value because sure. you haven't altered it in any way so it's kind of a win-win way to experiment and play with it and not really make any permanent changes to anything you know so um I mean, yeah i think you know i'm, I'm, I'm biased bill but i i just don't see 
any drawbacks. You no, know? but I, I honestly think like f- from my standpoint, now I'm a hardcore VW guy, right? I've got buses, Gia's, I've got the entire lineup. And, you know, I, I spent for one of my cars. Do you cars, have an Ormiga? <laughs> no, I don't have an Ormiga. <laughs> uh, but I, I spent, you know, I spent for one of my cars, I spent $15,000 for an engine. And yeah. top of the line, yeah. 200 horsepower, you know, best of the best, EFI, you name it. And then another five or 6,000 bucks on a Berg five speed and all this stuff. So, so you're talking, I'm right there, $20,000. Yeah. Now, here, you know, it, it uh, buses by the bridge last year, right? I'm sitting yeah. there talking to a gentleman, neat guy. He, he actually had a, a car one that year. And uh, he says, honestly, what did this cost you? How much money do you have in your truck? And I go, you know, I got about $20,000 in it. He kind of looks over his shoulder and he's like, you know, half of these guys here have 20 grand in their engines. They just won't tell you that. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean, it was so true. it's so true. When you start adding everything up, you're like, you're, you're pretty much there anyways. The difference is, is you have a drivetrain that probably has a sub hundred thousand mile life expectancy. Correct. So you're going to be back in it again, pretty quick where these electrics, you're just going to go, go, go. Uh, one of our early, early customers has a 914. And I think he's, uh, he's just on the cusp of turning over a hundred thousand. Uh, all electric miles, you know, wow. and you couple that with a nice little solar system on your roof. And next thing you know, you're like, dude, I just drove a hundred thousand miles for free. And I looked good doing it. Cause I was in my vintage car. I didn't, you know, I wasn't in a Nissan leaf or no. whatever. Well, you know, you know? That, uh, listen, <laughs> Sorry that, to the leaf guys out there. No, yeah. that, but that's, well, listen, look, man, a leaf has a face only a mother could love. Cause that thing, it, I mean, why do they get it? It's like the weirdest thing. It's <laughs> like, it, it's yeah, like, listen. It, they, they, but they push the technology. They're doing their, you know. There's worse cars out there. There's a Mitsubishi IBM and all these other. Yeah, things. I mean, it's uh, like it's like they, they they sell you a red jumpsuit with a silver V on the front that you have to wear when you drive it. Like they they want to brand you as like this guy's special instead of like just keep it low key. I mean, I think that's part yeah. of Tesla's Tesla's success is like the car's not bad looking at all. It's got some pretty innovative technology just from a just from a oh, user's yeah. driver standpoint, be able to get in, ingress egress out of the car, creature comforts oh, sure. things yeah. to that extent but they make yeah. some of these auto manufacturers make these electric cars look like braces with headgear it's like no one wants to wear it nobody wants to be seen in it you know what i mean you're all ducking yeah. down if, if uh if toyota made a car that looked like the model three uh is their corolla it would probably be a, a runaway hit yeah it's you like, know as a gas engine you look at the you look at the what was the 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 most popular little one it was the prius i mean mm-hmm. shoot like could and then i've never seen so many people that drive like maniacs in these priuses yeah. i mean they're like they're like i i don't even get it because i'm just like well yeah. you know but either but even the the look of the car i think someone's like no 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 we got to go to the future I'm looking at this, 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 this. I'm watching Tron to get ideas of how the car should look, and I think you know it. It is a little scary, right, Bill? Because you have yeah, this future yeah. now where, um, you know, my my wife drives a a ludicrous Tesla, right? So she can go to yeah. sixty in two and a half seconds. Like literally, my wife drives a car that's faster than a Gallardo and a four five eight, right? <laughs> right. Know? supercars you know so fast forward another 10 years when my my son gets his license right yeah uh what what's the market gonna be like i mean i imagine uh my son's gonna 
drive a all-wheel drive, you know, probably 1,000, 1,200 horsepower car. And the thing that scares me the most is I'm not going to be able to hear him sneaking it out of my garage. Right. <laughs> Puts it on silent <laughs> so, mode and he's out the but door. It's, it's, yeah, it's pretty wild. You know, like you, you mentioned the Priuses and a lot of these guys will jump around. And so they got that low-end little torquey hybrid motor in there. And, you know, next thing you know, they're Mario Andretti in a Prius. You know, what's it, you know these are the things that keep me up at night, right? What's it going to be like when everybody's driving a Tesla-esque car and has sub three seconds zero to 60 times yeah it's and that's a very real very real possibility i mean look at the drivetrain in the model three um really inexpensive yeah rather right there's a lot of front-loaded technology but if you look at the experts you look at like monroe and associates and stuff when they really do their detailed analysis and pick it down when they peeled the layers of the onion away they realized there's not a lot here you know, and the old adage in the car business is, how much money do you make on, you know, this car when you sell it? And the answer is, well, how many am I going to sell? So it, it, because they're so rooted in the the amortization of those costs, right? The costs for yeah. molds and everything else to make the car originally. So, uh, you know, heavy, heavy investment in technology. But the actual componentry that they're putting in the cars is very light and rather inexpensive, to be honest. So as time goes on, that's like time is their friend. As they sell more cars, their cost per car just keeps going down, 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 down as demand keeps going up. It's a great recipe for those guys. Well, and do you see in the near future, like in the next 10 years, do you see the, the electric conversion cost on a Volkswagen dropping to make it yeah. more affordable? I, I, I see it dropping, but I also see it do the iPhone thing where and, and now that model's gone anyways but for about four or five years the iphone every year was about 400 bucks right and it never really went up but you've got oh this year twice as fast processor twice as much memory and a better camera so you felt like you were getting much more for the same amount of money and i think that's kind of where we're at right now with evs because twenty thousand dollars we talked about the cost of engine sure. stuff it's not a huge investment it's not just proportionate for a complete drivetrain swap of a combustion type. Right. Um, but the, re the return keeps getting better every year. Now you get 150 miles range. Okay, come back next year, we'll have 175, you know. Um, and all these other little things are popping up. I mean, we do, uh, we've got a great Type 181 in the shop right now that we're really doing all this modernization on. I mean, it's got servo assist, electric power steering, and uh, the regenerative brakes and all this. So it feels like it's got power brakes and power steering and heated seats, just all these things that you can do when you have a lot of energy in the car by having this big high voltage pack in there, all of a sudden turning an electric power steering motor and stuff like that becomes a real easy task. And you have a car that, you know, it's just so much fun to drive because it, yeah. it's, it, it feels good. You're not putting all this effort into braking it and turning and stopping and, you know, all these little things, the automatic, um, parking brakes that we can do now with the worm drive calipers and all these just little conveniences that people love about their Teslas. You can take, you know, a good share of that and put it in the vintage car that you just can't replace the soul of the vintage car. As good as a Tesla is, it will never ever be a vintage car. Well, and, and uh, so yeah. do you believe that, that, that the biggest challenge for you not doing a hundred, and I don't know how many kits you do a year, but not doing a hundred thousand kits a year is the stigma that people have of electric cars? 
Well, it's, you know, look, we're still early in, in, in my personal opinion, we're still not quite ready for prime time, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, there's, there's a lot of finished solutions for conversions, but there's still, there's still some holes in the market. You know, we're buttoning up with instrumentation and some of the packaging of batteries and things like that. So, um, I think that the jumping off point, uh, for different people is at different points along the way. You know, some people are like, yeah, I'm cool. I don't need all this quick charging. I don't need a huge range, but somebody else that might be their jumping off point. Like I have to have a 200 mile range to make it to work and back and, you know, uh, with a sufficient amount of charge. So everybody kind of has a different, um, need. And I think their uh, interest levels based on that, you know, and, and some people are, not realistic you know they call yeah, i don't need to be able just 400 miles and you're like does your beetle now do 400 miles <laughs> <Right>. well that, <laughs> that's the thing well, i mean you know I, i've got my classic cars here and, and like right now in october when the weather's nice like i wouldn't mind driving my bus to work or stuff like that but i really hate going into like a business meeting or something i smell like exhaust or gas or right. whatever and, and that's yeah. and that's because it's carbureted technology and if i had fuel injection run a little leaner and a little cleaner and a you know, those, those types of things. And some of these slight inconveniences or like, Hey, I don't want to be in a rush where I got to be somewhere. And I have something that's a little unreliable. And for the most part, we're talking about a platform of cars that were known for their reliability, right? Volkswagens right. were like bulletproof reliable. And then, well, as long as you had Jack Kerouac's book with you, right? <laughs> right, right, right. And, and, but, but then it became, and really where they started becoming unreliable is when people started servicing them themselves and doing their own work. And, but I mean, when, when it's all said and done, if you told anybody like, hey, I can, you know, you can spend 20 grand on your drivetrain and you'll drive your Beetle or your Volkswagen, your Gia, your bus for the next 15 years with no issues. Like, and it will start every time and it'll go every time and it'll be bulletproof reliable and you won't have to go to a gas station anymore. And here's the calculated cost over time. People don't have that concept. I think that, I think I think the biggest thing, this is just my two cents. I think yeah. if, if at one of these events where you had a drive it and see if you like it type thing, which there's, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure there's huge liability logistically for something like that. But I think, I think that's the number one thing for people is like if they, and that's what I was asking it. Do you think, you know, if you've got three, five people that are talking about doing EV conversions and you let five of them drive the car, three of them, do you do you think three of them would change their mind and say, like, you know, this is totally doable and I'd drive that? Yeah, it's a death sentence for your bank account, man. <laughs> Test drives are scarier. Uh, I mean, you know, when, when we have a customer that you think is, is genuinely interested and really wants to do this but maybe lacks a little information or some uh, personal experience with it, we always, of course, invite them out of to the shop we always have running vehicles out here and let them drive it um but it's typically those are the guys like the guys most rooted in the volkswagen culture the guys that have seriously been daily driving a volkswagen for like the past two or three decades those are the guys actually that more often turn to this right yeah. because they understand the volkswagen more you get kind of these outside people that are like oh volkswagens are cute it'd be neat to own one and maybe make it electric there's just not a high level of commitment there but you talk to a guy that's literally been driving a a, a beetle you know maybe daily for the last 30 years that's the guy right that's your guy you get him an electric car and he will lose his mind he will yeah. figure out a way to beg borrow and steal to get that system now not all of them i mean i really again we really appreciate the fact that this isn't for everyone and as 
is it becomes more and more for some, it will actually become less and less for others because that's just the nature of people. You know, the only, I think the only reason people go out in their diesel trucks and roll coal and blow all the black smoke is literally because the Prius exists. Right. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. just, there's a, Gives you a reason has an opposite reaction, right? It's sure. cool. I mean, that's, that's what makes the world, you know, so awesome. Right. Um, and in and, and the very way that they respect us and they respect what we're doing with the EVs, we respect what they're doing. And, hey, keep keep building combustion engines, keep squeezing all you can out of it. I mean, there's there's such a nostalgia there, right? And it's not lost on us. We're not asentimental or anything like that. Like, I hear a flat four go by and you look. Absolutely. <laughs> and you know it's one of your brothers, you know? Absolutely. And, and, and am I going to miss that? Yeah. More than words can describe, truly, honestly. But is the trade-off worth it? Well, of course, otherwise we wouldn't have a business, yeah. you know, literally dealing in the trade-off. Um, so, you know, that's what it is. And in life, there's lots of these trade-offs, you know, you lose a little bit of nostalgia with things, but through our whole lives, we did. We, you and I grew up on analog TVs, oh, yeah. you know, TV signal wouldn't come in. We got snow, <laughs> you know, with noise and the flickering stuff. And nowadays, you know, you get some bouncing digital thing that says there's no signal. <laughs> yeah. How, how fast could you spin the dial from channel to channel to try to watch between yeah, two shows? You know, I'm sure, I'm sure out there somebody's like, man, I miss that analog noise. I miss that noise. But somebody's like, dude, the trade-off is worth it. Yeah. And it's a real personal decision. It's totally up to people to make that decision. And just, you know, I mean, life's short, man. Wear a smile and, that's it. Well, drive a Volkswagen. I mean, this is why we drive Volkswagens, right? Like we're no, we're absolutely. So tickled, we're so tickled with life. We're like, hey, let's just go out and drive a sixty-year-old car every day. Well, and I think, <laughs> and I think that I, I think it really lends to the VW mantra. Especially, there's no difference between what you're doing and the high-performance VW guys are doing because it's like here you're driving this unassuming, antiquated, iconic shape, and yet you've either got super high performance or ultra modern technology and it's like this oxymoron of what it is and that's right. what just makes it even that much cooler you know what i mean yeah um, yeah I, I, for I, lack of a better word right just cool is probably oh, yeah, absolutely uh a good <laughs> descriptor you know no um i it's it's <laughs> yeah i i think it's i i i love it i mean i'm a vw guy and i love my what I love about the Volkswagen scene is the personal expression that's available through the you know there's a lot of people out there that they're, they're only into doing things 100% stock or it's got to be cow look or it's got to be this or got to be that I appreciate all of them because each car is like everyone's individual canvas for themselves right and they can express right. themselves with that which and I think the the EV conversion just adds one more layer to the VW hobby where people can get into and really be into that and also, mm -hmm. it keeps perpetuating the hobby forward. You know, the VW hobby just keeps moving forward. And along with that, it brings the early Porsche family and anything rear-engine air-cooled. And, and, and because the VW is so prominent in that space, it just keeps growing that for us. And so I, I appreciate what you're doing because it's, it's bringing yeah, it, more of them back on the road, you know? Yeah, thanks, Bill. I, I appreciate that because I, th I think in some small respects – the EV movement is breathing a little bit of new life into the Volkswagen community. You know, we were up at Monterey last week, uh, Volkswagen, the Volkswagen America, the corporation, you know, brought uh, Bruce and Winnie Meyer up there for the um, unveiling of their uh, e-buggy, which is basically that green electric Manx vehicle, Yeah. you know, and, and here's, you know, a large, one of the largest automakers in the world, you know, <laughs> 
traveling around this guy, this uh, San Diego County resident that's kind of credited with, you know, inventing the, the dune buggy back in the day. Right. Uh, some 50 some odd years later, simply because Volkswagen's making an electric buggy. Right. If they weren't yeah. doing this electrification of the the Manx uh, style buggy that they're building, they wouldn't be doing this. And now you got this younger generation, you know, watching these promotional videos from Volkswagen or at the Quail, like, who's this Bruce My? Oh, okay. And now they're getting a sense of history, but it's actually been told to them through kind of this modernization and the, you know, the, the whole reason they're there is, of course, because of the electric uh, buggy. So it's kind of interesting. We get the same thing here where we get. Uh, enthusiasts and they go and they start doing restoration projects and really dumping a lot of money into fixing up their Volkswagen simply because they're putting an electric drivetrain in it. And those cars wouldn't normally be going through that restoration process if they were just getting another replacement 1600 or whatever it was because the customer's, you know, really taking it serious now that he's doing a complete drivetrain swap. Yeah. And, and because VW's working on things like that, I have some questions for you about that. With what you see, VW, there was the advertisement of that split that split screen bus that um, had the orange, funky orange yeah, wheels on there. Yeah, yeah, uh -huh, yeah. Right. Right. it looked like strange. <laughs> stra someone had an idea from Stranger Things, and it just kept going. And I was like, "Stop, stop, stop!" <laughs> they, they used they used a technique called surface. It's an optimization, right? Surface optimization. Yeah. Uh, through these CAD CAM programs, and they basically look at the stress lines and they take away. Uh, any of the material that's not really adding to the strength. And it's a fascinating technology. You can take like a, a normal gusseted bookshelf and uh -huh. run it through uh, a, a computer program like Fusion uh, 360 does this. And it will remove just all the extraneous material. But you get this really, you know, organic looking kind of part afterwards. And uh, I think you're either a fan or not a fan. And judging from not a fan. <laughs> what people tell <laughs> not me, a fan. <laughs> I still haven't met a fan. Uh, you know, it's, it's a very nerdy thing. But again, it's just not aesthetically pleasing to the eye. And I think, um, you know, I think they, they probably know that. Well, it's, and I they think mi they missed the mark a little bit. And it's a bummer because, you know, we were uh, involved in fact they reached out to us on that project and we we were too busy and we um, recommended another uh, job that we're friend uh, another shop that we're friendly with do the job and and they did the job and they, you know just kind of kind of got buried i saw an article or two on it for a week and then it just went away and i think the the consensus was the same most of the articles were so cut, filled with you know people talking about the orange wheels or the weird yeah. side 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 yeah. view mirror holder and all this stuff nobody was like hey this is a cool electric drive bus that right. actually Volkswagen built, you know, and it just, it took, completely got lost on it. And my understanding is they've actually, they've uh, been told by Volkswagen, they shut down the, uh, the ERL, the electronic research lab that uh, was responsible for that project. So really, um, yeah, they, they restructured. I don't, I don't Man, think it was a, a direct result of that project or whatever, but they kind of restructured some stuff around and they're back involved in this. We're doing a vehicle for them for the upcoming LA Auto Show that we're going to present there. It's got some really neat stuff in it using uh, factory driveline parts from cars that are already existing in their uh, in their lineup, you know, so, you, you know, and I, we talked about that on a, on a previous podcast. And, and can, we, can we just take one moment sure. to appreciate uh, because of this, I get a uh, I get to actually deal with people from Volkswagen corporate. And uh, the other day I was talking to the, our, one of our contacts over there and he's like, Hey, what do you think of the new logo? <laughs> I just was like, yeah, can we just take a moment and talk about this? Uh, Volkswagen has a wonderful new vintage logo. 
And, uh, you know, being a computer engineer back in the late 90s, um, you know, was, everybody was 2.0-ing their logo. Everybody was taking their logo and extruding it, making it look 3D. And I remember Volkswagen right. did it to their official logo. And I was just like, I wanted to pull my hair out. I was like, what the F, man? Yeah. Like, they have a gradient and a drop shadow and cr- like fake chrome in their corporate logo now? <laughs> it just seems so bad. And so here we are all these years later. And as a part of this electrification and this kind of relaunching the, the e-golf and e-up and all this stuff and their new ID3 platform, uh, they came out with their new old logo. It's essentially just their old vintage one, and they disconnected one line on it. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> I'm looking at it right great. now. It's a, it's a nod to the past. I mean, you know, yeah, VW unveils uh, their new logo, and it's like that's the old logo with like the yeah. the W's not connected to the circle, and yeah. so this is, this ties and, and, in. And think Go of, ahead. Uh, think about this for just a second, right? You have the largest automotive manufacturer in the world, right? Like the largest one in the world, and they're working with these little tiny conversion shops that employ in our shop employs twelve people, you know, uh, little tiny, teeny tiny small businesses, you know, to do yeah. this work. They see something. There's some importance in this there for Volkswagen, you know, uh, for all these automakers, really. And the ones that don't have anything in the works, uh, they're probably going to get caught a little bit behind the ball. No, But uh, I think it's telling if you just kind of back up and look at that. And you go, wow, with all their power and all their money and all their resources and everything they're doing, they still choose to, like, deal with these small, you know, kind of hot rod-esque uh, EV shops in Southern California. And that's just fantastic. No, I think that's I think that's wonderful. And I think it may have to do with the death of the Beetle. Because here's, yeah. here's we talked about this on the podcast. My brother and I were talking about this back and forth. We talked about if they would have come to the largest market available to, for new buyers to rebuy brand loyalty, and they went to all the classic VW things and said, here, draw us the new Beetle you want to see. It's got to be all modern technology, got to use modern drivetrain. There have been a few things that the VW enthusiasts would have stuck to, but the car would have been a phenomenal success because of, you look at like like what what Dodge did with the uh, Challenger, and it's like yeah. they really nailed it. The Challenger, nailed like you it. see them everywhere. And, yeah. and, and I believe they're even, I don't know what the sales stats are, but I think they're better than the Camaro because... It, they just did a better job connecting to the past with modern day technology and then made the car relevant to today's standards. And it wasn't really, you know, the Beetle was so over cute when it came out. It really, right. a lot of guys didn't buy it. And you look at the demo for who's driving the classic Beetles and it's all most yeah. it's higher. I feel like their restyle was just a couple of years too late. The flatter roof line, the, tur- the turbo line. If they yeah, if they came out uh, with that one first, I think that I right. love the second gen. Right. But yeah. so my point being that I think, you know, you're talking the largest automotive manufacturer in the world. If they go to their heritage and talk to the people that are like, I don't think anybody's got more stuff with VW on it than a VW owner, right? Everything they cut, they buy, collect <laughs> everything with a VW on it. They right. get it right. And right. to connect with that buyer pool would be so invaluable to them because it would help, it would help them not only connect with their, their, their loyal customers that are brand loyal, but like it would help them you know they would be able to make something so much better than the new beetle and the new beetle i'm not discrediting that like when it first came out we all got super excited like oh cool they're bringing the beetle back but it was 
front engine too fluffy didn't look it looked more like a toy than a real car and the functional like like the basic function over fashion was lost yeah it was completely at odds with its vintage siblings yeah for sure i mean there was nothing more understated than the beetle and nothing more unbelievable than like the less is more like less is more with the beetle you know it's a tough time to be uh, a car company right i mean the stuff that I grew up with, uh, you know, I'm probably in my chosen career now because uh, when I was young, I was in the garage with my dad. And I remember, you know, hey, go get your mom's nail file. I'm going to show you how to clean the condenser. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, you know, like cool, cool stuff, man. I mean, genuine, awesome memories, you know. And we just don't have that community anymore you can't go in the garage and tinker on your car like you used to unless it's a vintage car and now we've got i mean we've got so many of our customers are father-daughter projects you know uh, school high school projects college projects the formula sae electric that all the college guys are doing yeah and there's so many things for this uh electric stuff and me myself you know uh i'm 49 years old you know but i brought my dad in here my father 78 and we built a 53 electric baja twin motor baja bug together that's awesome and uh, the guys that follow us online we have a black 53 oval window baja you know my dad and i converted that car as a father-son project it took us about two months come into work every day for about two months and we got to work together again it was great and then when it was done you know he he borrowed it and drove it around, showed all his friends, and they thought he was, you know, the coolest dad. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I really, I mean, when it when it comes down to it, I mean, I've I've got kids that my my son, I've got him involved in in working on cars. My other son, I just drug drug out to the garage last night to help me change fuel lines and do some other stuff. And yeah. it's it's just that time to connect and get them to yeah. understand just some basic. Why are we doing this? Because it needs to be done and we work on our own stuff type thing. And, and that was, it, it's, it's a cool connecting and bonding experience that you can have with family. Um, even mm-hmm. with my daughter, I had her out helping me do stuff with her Jeep and whatever the case was. So, um, you know, it's really it, for, I think for our generation, because it was more like, you know, if we grew up average middle class or slightly below middle class. It was like, you didn't take the car to the mechanic. You just kind of fixed it yourself if you could, and and that established the roots yeah. of kind of how we look at things and why we're tinkerers and why we got into Volkswagens because we could fix it ourselves and it wasn't fuel yeah. injected and you yeah. know and if the engine died and you were out driving and even if it was your mother driving she would get out go back and pop the deck lid right. period <laughs> you know like no question about it yeah now these kids are driving around and wanting some brand new like I don't know Equinox or something and it dies it's just like you know, use the cell phone, call AAA. There's nothing, there's no wire, there's no cable, right. there's nothing under the hood. You're going to wiggle and it's going to run again. You yeah, know, I open the hood and there's just pretty big... typical Volkswagen. Oh, look at this. The coil wire fell off, fell off again. Plug yeah. it in and you go. You know? Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> well, so I've, so a couple last questions that I had for you because we've been at it for a little bit and I, I look, we could go on for a long time. Um, so maybe, maybe you can edit it down. Maybe not. (laughs) No, listen, these go on my podcast. They're, they're full length and people really enjoy them. They really enjoy the length of the conversations and, and the detail that's in there because you can't, you can't do it reading a single page website or, 
you know, or you yeah. know, looking at a the little podcast YouTube is the new book, right? It, it, it's, <laughs> the I'm telling you, it is. I'm telling you, without question, yeah. it is. So one of yeah, the questions I had, you talked about the 914 with a, with a solar charger. Is there any viability to actually a solar charger being able to charge, or is that just for long term parked situations? Well, you know, everything, you know, in EVs, again, just boils down to math. So you could take a, a normal panel, you can take the square footage, you know, square area of it in square inches or whatever, figure out how many you can put on the roof of your car, and then just kind of multiply that into the energy that you create. And, uh, you know, speaking as someone who's done this, yeah, you can get like five miles a day, right? Uh, a typical bus with um, decent solar panels that weren't overhanging everywhere. Mm-hmm. would get you about five miles a day. Now, that being said, uh, one of our customers, awesome guy, Brett, from a company called Solarola, mm-hmm. and they did. Uh, they started with a, a, a T2 Type 2 bus uh, with the Westy top, and they extended the Westy top all the way to the front and so they could angle their panels, and then they have two side awnings that come out. And I think in two days, he can get 100 miles. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and they're traveling, him and his, his wife and, and uh, kids are traveling in a solar-powered Volkswagen. Completely it, off the grid. Yeah, completely off the grid. Wow. Now, again, you know, maximum panels. They've got a ton of panels, and they're doing, I think, on a really good day, 50 miles. You know, every other day, you get 100, 150 miles range in the, in the bus. Uh, so it's kind of like a go and camp, go and camp kind of thing. Um, but they recently, we, we talked to, uh, uh, he's kind of a music celebrity, this guy, Red Few, and mm-hmm. he wanted something similar. And so we put him in touch with those guys over there at Solarola, and Brett and his wife ended up building a bus for Red Foo. And, and my understanding is he absolutely loves it now. And now he's driving a solar bus, and then now they're working on another <laughs> solar bus for another client. You know, back to that previous story, once you do one, you're just, you're done. You do your first EV, and, and you don't know it, but you're in the EV business now. <laughs> well, and I also think with solar technology, too, if, if they're if they're able to figure out how to get like if they could get solar pa- solar panels to be flexible and be able to actually like wrap well, vehicles so, with them. So here's here's the thing, right? And we talked about it earlier. When you have a battery that can take you a thousand miles, why do you need to charge on the roof of your car? Right. So we're gonna very very quickly, but in a blink of an eye, we're gonna get to this point where you're gonna go home and you're gonna wake up the next morning, your car's charged, it's got a thousand miles of range, and you didn't pay for it. Yeah. Right. And and uh, my wife and I, we live down encinitas california got a little tiny you know house near the beach so we don't have much roof space but we were able to fit a 14.4 kilowatt solar system on our roof and we produce almost twice the amount of energy that we use and and we're hogs man i I drive a couple performance electric cars my wife daily drives a a tesla you know not exactly the most efficient small electric car i mean we gobble up the electricity we go through uh you know megawatt hour a month but we're producing close to two megawatt hours on average every month and um um, so you're talking to somebody right now that's I haven't paid for a gallon of gas in years. Wow! I I win just about every street race that I'm in. Uh, <laughs> my kid my kid can drive in the back of my bus, and when I get to the destination, he's not asphyxiated. Uh, I mean, the, the are you are sleepy again, like, son? <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, look, he's cute. Um, no, but I mean, it, it, you know, and I I hate these freaking words, but it gives you kind of this not smug, but just a really, it makes you proud of technology to be yeah. able to like, I, I didn't take anything away from the earth. I didn't throw a bunch of smoke in. I didn't, we just basically use the solar energy that's hitting us, convert it into electrical energy. And then we, you know, convert that to mechanical energy and, and drive around, you know? And, um, and if everybody did that, if everybody went home and said this weekend, I'm going to put a little solar system on my roof, 
uh, it'd be surprising how quickly we'd, we'd get ahead, you know, on our, yeah. on our whole energy program. Well, know? they might have to do and, that this week, according to what PG&E is doing, apparently, for you right, guys. Yeah, That's weird. Gonna, Some rolling blackouts headed that. your way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, not at our shop, man. We run on a power wall, so. <laughs> See, that's even, so that's even better. So the reality yeah. is if a guy had, let, let's say a guy has an EV car and you've got, what, what would you need? three, four panels on your roof that would go into a storage wall and you plug your car in. So you're essentially not even, your car doesn't even cost you your energy right. from your house. Yeah. So, so yeah. Th- with that question, plug in the thing to charge the car. What's the average cost? What does it cost dollars wise to charge the EV vehicle? So just, you know, wildly average. varies state to state and utility yeah. to utility. And let's go with California, the, uh, the most expensive yeah, power there is. Yeah. And you guys are probably the cheapest. I mean, you're right there next to Lake Mead. And of course, you're the city of lights. Vegas, well, you guys so, get all that power. Uh, right. <laughs> that all goes <laughs> to California. Right? We don't get any of it. Yeah, it's brutal. <laughs> I, I would thank you, but I'm not using it myself. Right. You know, yeah, it's OK. You get so, a buy. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think. Um, I think you could probably, for the whole United States, use somewhere between 12 and 18 cents a kilowatt hour as a good, good average cost of electricity. So if you use that, the average electric car is doing three to four miles per kilowatt hour. So if you take, uh, you know, 12 to 18 cents, divide it by three or four, you're going to get a pretty good mark on what your cost per mile is. So, um, and in and in every analysis known to man, it comes out far ahead of gas you know so it's from like six times better 10 times better dollar wise it's five bucks to charge the car yeah that's that's pretty standard i mean even these guys with the model threes that are going to superchargers that pay a little bit premium rate i think they're getting 300 miles of range and they're dropping 10 to 12 dollars in the supercharger that's ludicrous yeah every time i stop to fill my diesel truck it's uh 90 bucks but then again i can pull a 35 foot fifth wheel with it <laughs> it's 80 miles an hour <laughs> right, down the road right right Right. And so, yeah. And, and, uh, you know, that's, and, and I think some of these things are changing. We're already seeing a change, you know, with companies like Uber and Lyft, and then there's rental companies like Turo, and there's a lot of these on demand things. And, um, we, we go out to Vegas for the big SEMA automotive show yeah. every year. And I think three, four years ago when, you know, um, I, well, I'd gotten rid of a couple trucks and pretty much made the commitment to drive electric cars daily. Uh, when SEMA came up, we ended up just going down and renting an SUV from Hertz to drive it out there. At the time, I, my wife had a Volt, and so it was a little lower range. You know, this was kind of early yeah. EVs. We didn't quite have the range to make it to Vegas. Uh, and we just rented a car and thrashed it, you know, ate in and out in it and everything, and then get back and get in our nice, clean, vintage electric car. And it's it's kind of nice to to do that the few times a year that you have to do something. Because you talk to people like that. They're like, oh, we go camping every year in the trailer. Yeah, how many times do you go camping? Well, we just right, do the three, one trip. Three. Yeah, two, three, Dude, you can go rent a 40-foot motorhome and still be way ahead financially, you know. And that's always and, that, that's uh, always the smart money is like rent it, use it, put it back, and then you don't, you're not replacing tires on it every year. You're not paying for insurance. Right. I mean, there's a lot of costs people don't associate with that, and, and that's really – Yeah, so I think the electrification will cause, you know, some of that to change. I think some of the pickups, you know, will, will go away, I think, for – I don't know. That's tough, man. Pickups are so functional. Well, they're supposedly <laughs> supposedly mine. Tesla's supposed to be coming out with a pickup, right? That's yeah, going to be yeah. something no, in the near future. So they're going to have to yeah. they're going to have to conquer that torque yeah. torque energy distance calculation. That's apparently probably the challenge, right? 
it's it's needed you know me and a buddy we we ride dirt bikes and it, uh last year transitioned actually to electric dirt bikes uh but we uh, a couple months ago made the news because we cut the whole top off of our tesla so we could fit our two dirt bikes in it because we were just sick of driving you know like what you said filling up the diesel sick of tire you know driving the f-150 the f-250 out to the desert spending a hundred bucks just for a little saturday morning quick moto you know right yeah. to cleveland national forest do a moto come back and uh so we went and got a salvage title tesla and just kept the roof off and tied two motorcycles the tel camino <laughs> yeah the, well it's the te- the tesla mino man <laughs> that's awesome yeah your, li- your listeners can take a look at it we're having fun with it we're going to take it out to sema this year and do a lot of other stuff we filmed uh hoonigan with it uh, Very a few cool. weeks back and stuff. So it's it's been a fun project. We're just trying to have fun. You know, I think the the takeaway is just don't take anything too serious. You know, if you're sitting there and you're getting upset over what somebody else is doing to their car or something like that, or you're not seeing the bigger picture, you know, yeah, just, you know, yeah. go smile. work on your car. Take it to, yeah. <laughs> go you know. work on your yeah. car and work it out. Yeah. Just be happy. That guy doesn't care what you're doing to your car. <laughs> right. No, to, listen, I, I, hopefully I'll see you at SEMA. I'll be at SEMA because obviously this is my hometown. I go to SEMA every year. And, uh, yeah. we'll, we'll, uh, we'll for sure, if I, if we can catch up now, you're going to, are you going to be at a booth this summer or just be on display or what are you going to do? We're, uh, assisting in two builds this year. We're working with, um, BC Moto is working on a really, really unique, just incredible project that they're going to have out there. Um, so definitely check them out. And then, uh, Street Fighter LA, we're doing a Rotwell, uh, 911 Porsche oh, for those get out guys. Of here. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Kai was in the shop, and he's you know a lot of these guys. It, it's funny the guys that you think would be the most staunch guys, uh, you know, they probably got into that position of being well respected because they're open minded. Yeah, and they tend to be the most open minded guys. They don't you don't have this knee jerk reaction to electrification. They they actually say let's talk about this, and they ask really neat questions, you know, and um, and they make their own decision on it. And, and a lot of those guys are just you know these guys that you'd think are the last people on earth because they've made so much money off of combustion. Uh, they actually end up being the the guys first in line for this stuff, and it's really refreshing. No, that's awesome, man. That's I mean, so my my one of my final was one. I just had one question pop into my head. What about stereo systems and all that stuff? Do you, or does that? Oh, fantastic! Yeah, yeah. So, we, so uh, that's a great question. So, in the componentry of the system, you know, people sometimes ask, "Well, what happens to my twelve volt battery? Do I take that out?" No, you still have headlights that operate on twelve volts, and of course, a dash instrumentation. You know, all of the stuff that works on twelve volts, windshield wiper, and of course, the stereo. Mm-hmm. So what we have is we have a, a, a component called a DC converter, direct current converter, and it just takes voltage out of the high voltage battery. So in the case of the Beatles, most of them are 120 volts, and it has a, basically a, a, a divider that takes that voltage down to 12 volts and keeps your 12-volt system charged. Now, because it's pulling from a high voltage source, every mm-hmm. 10 amps that you use on your 12 volt side only requires one amp on the high voltage side. So we have, like in the case of our race car, we're running a, a you know real high torque electric power steering system that can draw 60 or 70 amps on the 12 volt side. Uh, that's only pulling six or seven amps out of our battery. I mean, oh. almost nothing, you know. So yeah. Um, yeah, so they're great systems, you know, and and they'll charge the battery anytime the key's on. You don't have to. The amount that it charges doesn't depend on how much you're revving the motor or anything sure, like that, sure. you know. And and because of that, because of that ability, 
uh, we're seeing some EV platforms get, you know, just monster stereo systems. Yes. And, you know, we've done some off-road stuff and the, the extra lighting and the winches and like all of that. I mean, bring it on. It doesn't matter. You can load it up because um, you, you don't uh, require this moving piece. I mean, think about it. All the cars out there actually require this little belt driven yeah, generator right, to charge right. the battery, right? It's, it's so inefficient from the standpoint of, you know, turning this little belt on this motor. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's, a, that's a great question. And you do keep your 12 volt battery and your 12 volt system after the electrification process is going to be much stronger because you're not relying on this little you know, dinky generator. So when, when you're running your 415s in the back 80 style, your headlights won't oh, yeah. dim when your base <laughs> is hitting. So you, you, we nope. have to push a lot of power. I mean, especially that, if they're uh, LED headlights too. <laughs> yeah, the, I mean the the ten the ten to one conversion is like something that I didn't know. I didn't know any of that stuff. And I used to do car audio because we never worked on voltage that high. You know, we always did. Right. 12 volts and it was like get a capacitor to store power so that you could supply the the amps when when the when the when the base hits and it draws all the power to the amp you've got a storage unit yeah. there and some stuff like that so all right so now my follow-up question because you so this is the big question the big conspiracy question because yeah. you're in the ev market have you ever felt that you know, the, the going saying like, well, the reason why there's no electric vehicles is because the oil companies won't let that happen. Blah, 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 blah. Have there been any guys uh, in black suits yeah, ever showed up right, to your place? Right. Your yeah, your conspiracy question. We got to go back around. Yes. Um, no, no, not at all. Um, look, at some people, you know, with money bought those cars. They were expensive cars or excuse me, lease. They didn't even sell them and they got taken back, you know, against their wishes. And I think that, um, there's a lot of laws that kind of govern automotive companies as far as parts they got to keep and support things like that. Right. And I, I, I still just don't think that we've gotten a clear picture. Now, is there a conspiracy? Um, yeah, maybe a conspiracy of laziness, you right. know, uh, why, why fix it? If it's you know, cause combustion engines aren't necessarily broken. Right. Right. Um, I mean, look at they, you know, every, Credible scientists will probably tell you they're doing damage. We don't know how much, but uh, we all can agree they're doing some form of damage. Sure. Um, and so uh, it's not a bad idea to just take a second look at that, <laughs> you know, from that standpoint. Uh, but I don't think that means that combustion engines are broken, and I don't think it means it requires a conspiracy to keep uh, and electric vehicles, you know, technically behind if you want to follow anything, you follow the money and there just wasn't any money to be made. And now people are seeing, uh, granted, you know, the, the excuses are not profitable, but look at their assets. They just keep building up. I mean, look at, sure. look at Tesla, you know, they got a factory in China. Now they got one of like, the biggest footprint factory in the United States and your home state now. Yeah, Marino, right? Um, yeah. I mean, here's a phenomenal, I mean, they, their cars are more American than a Chevy pickup that's made in Mexico. I mean, these guys right. are America, you know, and they're just killing it right now. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's just, it's great to see that. And that's driven by basically just pure demand. And you look at other companies like, uh, it might have a less, aesthetically pleasing electric car mm -hmm. and you look at their sales numbers and they're probably similar to what the ev1 did way back in the day right. so now you ask yourself well is it just because it was kind of an ugly yeah car you can't sell ugly <laughs> right it, it was expensive it was ugly and it had poor range and now you're telling me there's a conspiracy that it didn't sell 
Well, okay, guy. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so, you, you know what I mean? So I absolutely. just want to put it to rest, especially because, uh, you know, I understand I kind of represent the electric vehicle industry, obviously, uh, working for a shop, owning a shop uh, in the shop owners, the electric vehicle shop. We don't think this at all. We don't think there's a conspiracy because we know more of the capabilities. We know that those older controllers, the older motors, the older batteries just weren't capable of the high currents, had issues with short life heat buildup, et cetera. And, you know, fast forward 20 years and now we're sitting here with Teslas and all of those problems have seemed to just kind of go away. And uh, lo and behold, they made something attractive that people would be willing to part right. with forty, fifty thousand dollars Someone know? knocked off the ugly on that thing and they <laughs> right. were able to sell it. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. So the answer to the question is you've you personally owning EV West, being involved in the electrical, the electric car conversion movement, have never had guys in black suits knock on your door and say, hey, dummy up, kid. Uh, what are you doing over here with these electric things? We don't like what you're doing. And uh, this better go away quick. If I did have guys <laughs> knock on my door in black suits, do you think I would tell you? <laughs> right? All right, I mean, yeah, fair the, enough. Fair that's enough. the real question. But, uh, you know, look, I just – I, I uh, like most guys, we go to car shows. Half of the word car shows just show. Yeah. People are showing things. And so why do we go? We want to see things. We want to see unique things, right? Yeah. And uh, to be honest, going to Volkswagen shows for years, you see – so much of the same stuff. Now, right. the reason I go, I see old friends and acquaintances and, and it's neat to catch up with people and do fun stuff. We try and do big Wednesday where we surf down at Santa Rosa. We try and do the Volkswagen events, but uh, it's, it's mainly about just getting together with, with all of these guys that, that you enjoy and they, you go and then you're at a show and you want to see new stuff. Yeah, it's the people. When it's all said and done, it's the it, it's it's the people. It's the experience. It's the community, yeah. and being able to appreciate everybody's different level right. of that enjoyment. Right. You know. And now you know there's this kind of new you know people coming in, and uh, you know yeah, I might be uh, it might be a less popular opinion, but I like going to the Volkswagen shows now and seeing some electric vehicle that I haven't seen before. Because they're going to do something unique, and I'm pretty sure they're going to do something unique, and I'm not seeing a ton of unique stuff outside of that realm. Yeah. And so going back to the whole car show thing, that's that's where you're going to see this stuff. And, and to me, it's exciting. Again, it's it's kind of like the electric guys are bringing some sort of rejuvenation uh, to the Volkswagen community. You know, early on, I used to say, uh, I don't understand how anybody could hate electric cars, even if you were the most rabid muscle car guy in the world, you drove your 69 Camaro and you drank gasoline for breakfast, you should know there's a finite amount of gas left in the world and you don't want soccer moms using, using it all. your race yeah. fuel What's to up with that? kids to school. <laughs> you want them a Nissan Leafs, you want them solar powered, you want, you know, save the gas for the muscle car guys. So even you know, here's something that literally everybody can agree on. And even the muscle car guys are like, hey, look, man, a Model S isn't for me. I don't like it. I like my 69 Camaro. But all you soccer moms gobbling up my gas in your Suburbans and all this. Yeah, suggest, more gas for me. Go yep. switch to electric. I mean, uh, gas, it's, uh, God, I passed a station just yesterday and I saw 499 per gallon. Yeah, uh, we're here, a lot in more California. here in California. I, uh, well, I was surprised by it. It's because so you're so far quick. from the port. Well, I had to do a quick Google on AAA just to see where we're at, but we're at 423 for regular. 
is our average Yikes. right now. Four twenty-three a gallon for regular. So uh, premiums tipping five bucks in, in the state. And yeah. uh, <laughs> Jeez, they're going to march you right out of there. You can't even get off the grid fast enough. It's like just the, yeah. the cautious keep going up and up and up. You know. If I didn't have Google and occasionally drive by a gas station, I'd never know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've been yeah, and you've been off that you've been off the nipple of of the gasoline for a while, so it's pretty it's yeah. pretty awesome that you've put the miles on it, you've done the stuff, you've turned it into a career and it it's it's your business now and it's what you do. I thank you for being part of the VW community because it, oh, thanks, it's Sam. it's one more thing that adds longevity to our hobby that's going to keep the VW scene, the classic VW scene around for a long time. And uh, I heard you say you were at Buses by the Bridge. I must not have saw you last year. Are you going to be at Buses this year? Uh, yeah, we hope to. Last year we actually ducked out. We didn't. We weren't out there last year. So that was that story was related to the year before last. And uh, the gentleman there had a, a green double cab that had, had won that year. He was the one I was talking to. Yeah. Uh, and he had he had Nevada plates, so he's from your state, actually. Oh, it's my uh, buddy. It's probably my buddy Scott. Yeah. I, I think he had a license plate that said like Trouble Cab. Yeah, or that's like that. That's yeah. I found. Yeah, that, hold on, to let the record be shown. Kudos. I that thing that is one of my favorite interiors. That brown leather inside of that. I found that bus. He, yeah. My <laughs> that Scott's a real good buddy of mine, and he and I found that bus together we we went halves on it 300 bucks a piece and i just said you know what man i think it's got oh way gosh. too much it's got way too much rod in it that's the trouble cab you can have it henceforth <laughs> the name trouble cab on it so wow uh, he yeah. did an amazing <laughs> amazing job on yeah it's it. a great it's a great car fantastic but he's a neat guy he came up and, and initiated a conversation it was just really really open uh, with, with the whole electric thing so no that's awesome man and hopefully uh, I'll, I'll catch you at SEMA and I'll get some video of uh, what you got there and if I'm down in your neck of the woods in the next little bit I'm, I'm going to be coming to Octo next week so oh, okay I'll be down well, if there you're coming uh, out to Octo you should definitely uh, swing down we're only about uh, it takes us about a hour and 15 minutes to drive from Octo to Octo from our shop here uh, so if you have the time, I'd love to have you by the shop, take you for some rips and some cars. We got uh, we have a really neat car right now. We've got uh, Ewan McGregor's 54 uh, Oval in here, nice. Euro spec, and it's got semaphores and just a beautiful, beautiful car. You know, he's a huge Volkswagen. Oh yeah, fan. I saw him at and, I saw him at Octo. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. It just you know, and, and uh, we we did this car for him. We let him test drive it the other day, and you know. Here I am sitting with Ewan McGregor, and he's just flying up Topanga Canyon Road and his new electric Beetle. We went around and turned so hot and knocked off a hubcap and went flying into a neighbor's yard. You know, so here we are, you know, hiking along the side of the road looking for a hubcap. Nice. The guy just literally has, you know, ear-to-ear grin, just smiling and just so excited to be part of it. And he's really embraced that. You know, he's he's down – they're filming a, a movie where they're riding electric motorcycles from Patagonia. Uh, all the way up to Los Angeles, you know, he's kind of famous for those motorcycle movies, the long way down and the long way around. Yeah. And uh, now they're doing a, a movie titled long way up and they've done full electric and, um, and it's just, you know, they're showing now you can do this overlanding, you can do long distance traveling and he's just really embraced it. And it, it helps push the cause. Cause I think a lot of people respect him, respect him as a Volkswagen guy. And then to see him, embrace the electrification you know and very much a volkswagen guy we preserved all his old components he wanted his old engine back and all that stuff 
Um, but so he still has all the original components, but now he has a, a beetle that he can drive around town. And, you know, the original reason he came down here is that cars left him stranded a few times. Well, uh, you know, a quick, a quick Google search will pull up photos of him actually pushing his own beetle through Los Angeles traffic. You know, we're like, okay, we got to, we got to fix that. Yeah. And, and one now with the EV power, he can get away from the paparazzi too. So. Yeah, right. right, right. <laughs> nice. So. Well, well, man. I listen. It's been great having the podcast. Um, I, I, we'll have you on again. Anything new and exciting you wanted to leave our? Uh, our I, mean, I know there's a couple things that I've seen um, on your YouTube channel. There's just so, like the off-road car. I couldn't watch that video enough because I'm a big off-road guy. Besides my VW street stuff, I've got a sand car, and then I just picked up the new Can-Am, and then I saw the off-road car you had, and I was just like, holy crap. Oh, yeah. That thing oh, was yeah. unbelievable, you know? Yeah, I mean, all, all of the off-road stuff. I mean, even the Baja bug, having the instant torque gives you that when you're driving, that, that ability to rotate the vehicle to get the rear end to slide out and, yeah and really uh what do they call it steer by throttle uh so yeah for something where you know reaction times and corrections and input corrections and stuff uh are so critical you know the ev really really helps with off-road i mean it's just it's amazing off-road the torque that our off-road car had when we ran the mexican 1000 we did a thousand miles and the Mexican 1000 race in 20, nice. 2013, first electric vehicle to finish a Baja sanctioned event. And, uh, and you know, that's just, just the beginning. It goes from there. So I think there's going to be uh, a lot more stuff coming your way. You know, uh, there's no question there's going to be electric Can-Ams and stuff like that down the line. It's still a little early. A lot of the manufacturers are kind of holding back on the off-road community. I think mainly because most of the off-road guys are gasters. You're probably going to be the last chip to fall. Yeah. Um, and, and right now, you know, it's easy going after the low-hanging fruit, you know, go after the sedans and the people doing, you know, the real traveling and, you know, putting miles on. Those guys are going to stand to benefit the most from electrification, you know. Yeah. Uh, you target an off-road market where most of your stuff is really out in very rural areas. You might not have access to electricity or means of charging and stuff like that. So you're horizon might be five years out when, you know, imagine a time where you can charge your Can-Am go to the desert for like a long three-day weekend and come home on the original charge <laughs> when i go it's to the coming. dunes we're, man we're gonna have that it's not a fantasy it's not here now but all yeah. indicators if you just kind of extrapolate our progress out over time everything's indicating that's where we're going and so you'll be able to have an electric can-am for the desert do all your stuff come home and you never had to take gas with you and you never had to take charging equipment you get home and you plug it in and it's charged ready to go for the next trip yeah, I've had, uh, I mean, when I go to the dunes, man, it's like 20 gallons. I, I bring 20 gallons of race fuel for my Subaru sand car, and then I fill up 20 gallons into my trailer. And, you know, because I'm going out in the middle of nowhere and I've got to be completely self sufficient. So, yeah, that would yeah. be, it would be interesting to see. I mean, and as the technology gets better, the, the, the weight of the batteries gets lighter and you get the same charging capability. So that just means you go that much longer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool, yeah. man. Well, if our yeah. if our listeners want to see more, they go to evwest evwest dot com and then work. Yeah, evwest dot com is our store. To be honest, it's kind of boring. Okay. You know, I think uh, the better place to go is is probably you know check out the Instagram and the Facebook accounts that kind of give some pictures of some projects going through the shop and some of the things that we're working on. Uh, if anybody has any questions, uh, they can you know, email us directly at support at evwest.com. I generally answer most of the support questions. And if you have anything Volkswagen related, that'd be the, the place to reach out to us. 
No, that's awesome, man. And I really appreciate you for coming on the podcast. I look forward to coming down to your shop, checking out your stuff and, uh, and actually giving a testimony about drive it. Cause I, so I drive, I've got a crew cab too. I've got my carbon cab. Oh, you're going to love it. Bill, I can't wait. You're going to love it. We'll and, go cruise around. We got the crew. We got the panel. Yeah. Uh, my single cab. We're putting a Tesla drive into, you know, you mentioned earlier what's new and exciting. I think probably our Bolton Tesla stuff for the Volkswagens. We've been doing it for the nine 11s, but now we're going into that, the Volkswagen fitment and that's, nice. you know, having a, a single cab with, you know, hundreds of horsepower is going to be interesting. Oh yeah, no. I, I, I listen. I'm looking for. I'm looking forward to checking them out, man. I just, I, I think maybe one of the hardest things. One of the things that I did is I, w- I actually drove in an Amphicar, and the psychological oh, wow. aspect of driving the Amphicar into the water was really weird. Yeah. And I can only imagine <laughs> the aspect of driving a vehicle that makes no engine noise has got to be a little noise. It's not quiet. It's a different noise. And it's one that you can talk over, which is nice, but, um, they do make noise and they do all have a noise signature. So they all sound slightly different depending on maybe your gearbox or if you're a synchronous or asynchronous motor, things like that. All right. Well, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking. You'll see. I can't. I'm, I can't wait to have you. Down I'm here looking forward for sure. to checking it out, man. And and again, oh, man, thanks for coming on the podcast. And uh, hey, thanks for your time. I, I look forward to getting to meet you face to face. Absolutely. Look forward to it, Bill. Thank you so much. We'll All talk right. to you real soon. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Bye. A Volkswagen is a nice station wagon to have.